everyone. Welcome to Coffee with the Queen. I'm Nicole. And I'm Cindy. And today we're going to cover the long, we'll try to keep it brief, illustrious and often scandal-ridden history of coffee. So we're going to start with coffee's origin story and move on to its proclaimed alliances with both the Pope and the devil. We'll talk about some killings and revolution, love and deception, penance, and much more. There's a lot to be said about coffee's history. After our unconventional history lesson, Cindy will share this month's Spring Perfect Latte Recipe. As a quick reminder, everything covered in today's podcast is available as an entry on our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com, and accessible via links on our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. So I can't wait, Nicole. This is scandalous. It's like the best soap opera because it's filled with coffee and intrigue and politics and romance. It is. I mean, I feel like people think they're just drinking a cup of coffee, but there's so much more in that cup of coffee. <laughs> and it's, it's like there's that little thing that creates a whole bunch of chaos in the whole world. Kind of like the idea of a butterfly flapping its wings and creating a, lot, a large windstorm. I feel like coffee has that same power with this history. Coffee butterfly effect. So now to share with you guys what we're talking about. We're going to start with the origin story, the discovery of coffee. So according to most coffee historians, the first of two competing origin stories and the one most widely accepted by beneficiandos concerns a humble, often weary 13th century Ethiopian goat shepherd named Kaldi who noticed that his normally very lazy goats became energized after nibbling on some small red berries. As the legend goes, Kaldi actually said the goats began dancing. So so I would goats, dance it's like too. me. It's like me after my coffee. Yes, I would be dancing too after I had my first cup of coffee. Yeah. So intrigued, Kaldi munched on a few of these berries, which we now call coffee cherries, and I imagine he was instantly addicted, having his first <laughs> cup of coffee. Eager to share his magical new fruit, Kaldi brought some of these cherries to a local monastery in Yemen where he gave them to a Sufi abbot. The abbot instantly recognized the benefits of consuming these cherries, but he hated their taste. And with good reason, nobody should ever munch in a raw coffee bean. It tastes like eating hard, chewy, sour grass. The abbot went on this mission to find a palatable, if not pleasant, way to consume the fruit. First, he threw the cherries onto the fire and roasted them. The roasted cherries were slightly better than the raw cherries. But he took it a step farther, and this is where the magic happens. The next thing the abbot did was grind and then brew the coffee into what we now know is the first cup of coffee in the world. And the abbot really enjoyed this coffee. So this was like a a 13th century campfire coffee or a pour over? Yeah, it's actually, I believe the method he used is still what they use during Ethiopian coffee ceremonies today. So the second origin story skips over Kali and his dancing goats, and we go Right to the abbot, who was described now as chronically tired from long nights of prayer, and discovered the berries one day while foraging. And now our two stories merge. I like the goat story because I like the idea of dancing goats, but if you don't like the goats, you can start right off with the Sufi abbot. You know, we're in the same spot. He has his beans, he's brewed them up, he's tried coffee, and now he's addicted and wants to share his addiction with everybody. Like we all, we all want, we all want everyone to be addicted to coffee. Yeah, so coffee. I'm, I'm a fan of the goat story too. I like the coffee goat. Yeah, cool. Um, anyway. Okay, so thrilled with this new discovery, the abbot shared his miraculous energy-boosting seeds with his fellow Sufis, all of whom began drinking coffee regularly to stay alert through long evening prayers. Coffee continued to spread through Sufi and the larger Islamic religious communities throughout the 13th and 14th century and was fully disseminated throughout Arabia and the Middle East by the end of the 14th century. By the 16th century, commoners wanted a taste of this magical black brew, which led to the creation of the first coffee houses producing their coffee houses throughout most major Arabian and Middle Eastern cities. Aptly dubbed schools of the wise in Turkey, 16th century coffee houses rivaled mosques in their popularity as a gathering spot for intellectuals. 
And this was a big problem. In 1511, desirous to destroy coffeehouse culture and retain control over local intelligentsia's conversations, in bowing to some pressure from local secular and religious leaders, the governor of Mecca, Kahir Beg, I apologize to anyone who's, who speaks Arabic if I said that wrong, banned coffee, claiming that the coffee consumption by commoners encouraged radical thinking and sedition. And this is a theme we're going to see played out and often proven true over the centuries to come. It's very interesting, right? It's because authorities feel like people are getting independent and coffee is the catalyst. So they need to keep their control. I'm going to argue that coffee actually is the catalyst and we'll see why pretty soon. But I think arguments can be made on both sides. I actually like the idea that coffee is the catalyst. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I like a little bit of chaos and unrest. That shouldn't surprise anyone who knows me. Not at all. But going back to 16th century Mecca, Beg's widely unpopular ban lasted a torturous 13 years until Sultan Selim I, who considered coffee sacred, rescinded the ban and ordered Beg's execution. The Kahir Beg was the first person we know that documented death directly related to coffee, and I promise you there are more to come. I think it's also fair to say at this point that the phrase, I could die for a cup of coffee, never held so much truth. <laughs> and I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to say it again after I learned about Kahir Beg. I don't know how far I'd really go for a cup of coffee. I'm glad that we don't have to worry that coffee is going to take our life anymore. Oh, who knows? The history's not over. <laughs> okay, let's continue. <laughs> We're only at the present. By the early 17th century, coffee made its way to Western Europe, being first introduced on the streets of Venice, where, as it had in Mecca, sowed the seeds of trouble between religious and secular communities. Affectionately dubbed here as the bitter invention of Satan by Italy's religious leaders, coffee was sorely condemned by the Catholic clergy who viewed it as a toxic Muslim drink. So concerned and unable to stymie coffee's growing popularity, the leaders called upon the Pope to denounce this drink as evil. Things didn't go quite as planned. Pope Clement VIII proved to be a very thoughtful man and insisted on trying a cup of coffee before casting judgment. After only a few sips, the Pope declared coffee delicious and suggested it be blessed. So here we go. Here's two wins for coffee and zero for haters. Once blessed by the Pope, <laughs> once blessed by the Pope, coffee was greedily embraced by the West, and coffee houses sprang up throughout Europe. Well, that's good that coffee is getting a toe in in educated European culture. But I imagine, you know, it, it's disrupted what was common trade. I imagine a lot of political and religious leaders were getting upset by this uh, imbalance in what they had a control of before. Because as traders became more affluent, they gained control in the culture. Well, I don't think it was a profitable crop back then. I think it was more what it did to people. I think we might answer your question very shortly in the very near future. Because coffee wasn't widely traded then. When it first came to Paris and Venice, it was actually sold by people kind of carrying it and brewing it in a little cart that they pushed along the streets. Actually, let's just jump forward now. And start talking about these European coffee houses. So similar to what we saw in Mecca in the 16th century, 17th century European coffee houses were a lively community gathering spot that attracted individuals from all walks of life and from all classes along with social hierarchy. And that last point is really important because unlike modern cafes that we know today, traditional coffee houses weren't just a place to eat and drink. They were the forum for great cross-societal debate. You know, I would argue that that still been going on in modern culture. The coffee house in the 60s were where a lot of people met to discuss their radical ideals about changing politics and changing life. 
So coffee houses are still gathering places for discussions and uh, political movements. Perhaps. I guess this, I think of it differently. Like I think of a coffee house where I go and get my coffee and I sit with my computer and I try to ignore everyone, even though I have this bad habit of eavesdropping on their conversations. So, um, <laughs> okay. Well, you know, jumping, different experiences. Yes. But they do, they, I mean, they are places together. So to jump back to England for a sec, this is such a new concept where you could have people from all walks of life and all levels within the social hierarchy gather and converse and share ideas that these, pe- these coffee houses began to be referred to as penny universities where a patron could throw in a penny and enjoy listening to a debate by very learned people and brought all classes of their society together for the first time, debating political ideas, as you just mentioned, Cindy, intellectual ideas, and then just new ideas of what society could look like. And so to put these coffee houses in historical perspective, the rise of the coffee house coincided with and is arguably a catalyst for the Age of Enlightenment. So prior to the introduction of coffee, Westerners drink beer all day. So starting with breakfast and continuing straight through the evening. That move from beer to coffee as a beverage of choice essentially sobered everybody up and sharpened entire society's minds. And then with a clear head and susceptibility to many of the positive side effects of coffee that we now know of, that they didn't know that, that includes better memory and focus, being more accepting of ideas that are different from your own, an inclination to perceive your fellow conversationists in a favorable way. It's easy to understand how coffee house-born ideas and communities grew so quickly and why governments targeted them as centers of sedition. Well, yeah, certainly when you have a less adled by alcohol brain, you can think clearly about what's wrong with society. So it's true that a switch from alcohol to coffee combined with coffee's benefits would lead to clearer minds and thus a questioning of society. So I am with you. Yeah, no, and there's also been studies that holding warm beverage in your hand when you're having a discussion with someone makes you more open to their ideas and makes you more inclined to enjoy that conversation. They didn't know that at the time, but looking back historically, we can say this is probably also a a big reason why coffee houses were so popular and why the individuals there could gather into such strong communities, even those that defy their probably social structure at the time. Throughout the 17th and 18th centuries, Many, many rulers attempted to ban coffee or discourage the consumption of coffee, with one of the most notable protests coming from King Charles II of England. So in 1675, Charles II wrote a proclamation to ban coffee houses, claiming that they encouraged idleness, disturbed the public, and promoted malice revolutionary discussion. Thankfully, several of Charles's coffee-loving ministers stepped in to kill the ban two days before it was to take effect. Hmm. Looking back on that proclamation, Charles's fear proved to be premonitory. Just one century later, in 1773, America kicked off their revolution against British rule by tossing tons of tea into the Boston Harbor and officially declaring coffee as the free man's drink. In doing so, they actually made coffee a symbol of freedom from tyranny. <laughs> so, uh, circling back, I, you know, I like a little bit of chaos. <laughs> um, right, 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 right. I mean, so, yeah. The concept of gathering, this goes goes along to how it's a combination of political and loss of control. And coffee definitely added to that occurring, or coffee houses did at least. Yeah, definitely. The leaders felt like they were losing control over how society was forming itself and gathering and sharing ideas. So it wasn't just the you know the wealthy sharing ideas with the wealthy anymore. It was the sure. wealthy sharing radical ideas with the poor and, and listening to the poor. And so I think that made it a little bit more... Right. I mean, this is a gathering place. So rulers are always threatened by whenever people gather together and they start to lose control. You can see it even today in some countries, unfortunately. Yeah, but they didn't mind the pub. 
Just because, yes. <laughs> so, so on the heels of the American Revolution was the French Revolution. Mm. Also planned in a coffee house. Paris is famed. Café de Procco. Around the same time in 1771, King Gustav III of Sweden, he was a true coffee hater, he was wise. He didn't ban coffee, but he did try to poison his subjects' minds against it by declaring coffee toxic. Gustav, though, he was wise. He realized that simply saying coffee was toxic wasn't enough to kill the booming and large coffee culture in Sweden. And so he decided to prove that coffee was toxic by convicting twin murderers to death by coffee. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Gustav, yes. Gustav was so certain that coffee would kill the convicts, he ordered doctors to remain on standby to document the point at which coffee consumption killed. And the convicts, they sat there and they drank and they drank and they drank and they drank and they went on to live these very long lives. They outlived Gustav. Experimentation failed. So, so wait, I have a few questions about this experiment. I remember uh, the first time I read this story, I, I think it's in our coffee book. It is. Which, by the way, I think you all should check out if you get a chance. You can see a link to it on our website, but that's neither here nor there. So... Did he do, like, a double-blind study? Like, did one twin drink coffee and the other one didn't? No, they both drank coffee. One they just happened both. to live a little bit longer. Yeah. Okay. They both outlived Gustav. They both outlived him. This is a, a, such a wonderful, wonderful story. I love it. I love it. I imagine Gustav, like, shaking, like, rocking back and forth in terror as these convicts just continue to live. And at this point, the con- convicts were probably like, where's my coffee? They probably just wanted yeah, it. I, I, they, they probably got coffee. Um, and they probably but, were hallucinating at this point. At that very point, they probably were. Although, you know, you don't know how they brewed it. I mean, if it was really weak, like, they could be. But maybe they did consume a lot of coffee without any notable side effects that their doctors documented. So they, so they may have been hallucinating. They may. Yeah, their hallucinations could have just been extreme happiness. Like, the convicts were like, jail? It could be. Or it could have been really weakly brewed coffee. True. So true. you don't know. There's a lot of things that go into it. But Gustav hated coffee. His father hated coffee. His father, which we this is a little bit of a side tangent. Um, he didn't ban coffee, but he tried to prohibit the sale of roasting of coffee. And Sweden, before it embraced coffee, in modern times, had a real, like, the, the leadership really hated coffee. <laughs> but going south a little and jumping up to 1777, Frederick the Great of Prussia, this is also an interesting story to me, only because Frederick's a great, and he was the great, he got the title the great. He was this incredible fighter and conqueror and ruler, just this lauded figure to be feared throughout all of Europe. And one of the last things he did, I would say, one of the last big fights he took up wasn't against a neighboring country or a threat. It was against coffee. So rather than ban coffee, Frederick was very wise. He decided to write this really lengthy manifesto proclaiming, mm-hmm. <laughs> proclaiming bears superiority mm-hmm. over coffee. And this is a really great read if anyone has 30 minutes you just want to kill because he goes on and on to talk about how beer makes great soldiers and like <laughs> coffee makes weak-minded men. And um, it's just really amusing. Yeah, it's this. cool. It's yeah. cool. From somebody who loves her beer almost as much as she loves her coffee, it even made me laugh. It's hilarious. Yeah, I'm a coffee camp, but like I thought it was great. Another great read. I'm just going off topic for a second for if you guys have a lot of time to kill is the 1674 Women's Proclamation Against Coffee. That also is a great laugh, and you can see why women hated coffee and probably really supported King Charles II's ban. <laughs> so they thought that coffee caused impotence. <laughs> it was probably just the whiskey being added to the coffee, but that's that's up for debate and different. I guess it was before people. Podcasts. I guess it was before medicine decided to say that coffee keeps you up if they thought it promoted impotence. 
Yeah, I have a feeling it was the long nights of political discussion, which can kill pretty much about any good mood, and the whiskey or whatever else they were putting into the coffee, because they often drink coffee. So a little something extra. Oh, my so. God. So the double entendres that are going through my head are just too much. So we should All right, get- so we're going to move on. So now yeah. that we've discussed how coffee became such a beloved popular drink, it's time to dip into the history of coffee growing. As we mentioned earlier, coffee plants originated in Ethiopia. And seeds from these Ethiopian plants were primarily brought to countries within the coffee belt by missionaries, but not always. So Panama's first coffee seeds, for example, came on the tide of what we can only say is true love um, when a retired English sea captain fell for a Panamanian woman, made her his wife, brought seeds to Panama, and decided to start a coffee farm, which was Panama's first. And for anyone who knows anything about Panamanian coffee, this love affair, like if they say things end the way they start, has carried on through modern days, and I'm sure will only continue. Panama's coffee is loved worldwide and has set records every year since 2014 for the highest sale price per pound of green beans. In 2020, one pound of green Panama geisha went for a astonishing $1,330.50. So true love story from Panama. Wow. Going south a little, we have another love story, but it's not quite as nice. And so now we're going to talk about how coffee seeds made their way to Brazil. This time, though, more likely on the wave of tears than on than that of promise, when in 1727, one of Brazil's most ambitious, most cunning, and most charming lieutenant colonels, again, I apologize to anyone who speaks Portuguese, the Portuguese-born Francisco de Melo Paleta, sorry if I hacked that, <laughs> was on a diplomatic mission from Brazil to French Guiana. Francisco wanted the coffee, and all the Brazilian leaders wanted coffee at this time. And French Guiana had coffee, but refused to share. So Francisco, being a sly devil, first tried to unsuccessfully term the governor of French Guiana before turning his attention to the governor's wife. So this oft-overlooked woman was unaccustomed to the charms and attention of charming men. And quickly, Francisco had her wrapped up in a spell. Francisco be a player. He was. And before parting, he did that, like, that sob story that guys, you know, anyone can kind of put on. But like, oh, I don't want to leave you. I don't want to leave you. And I have to go back to Brazil without my beans, you know, just laying on woe upon woe. So seizing her opportunity to make a grand romantic gesture, the governor's wife handed Francisco a bouquet before he left. And nestled deep inside that bouquet, guys have guessed it, were coffee seeds. And so these seeds multiplied like mad, and, and soon Brazil was leading the world in co- coffee exports. But we saw with Panama, the way things begin often give a foreshadow of how they're going to develop and grow. And Brazil has had a somewhat troubled, contentious yeah. coffee history. So there's a lot of slavery in Brazilian coffee. Anyone who doesn't know, you could be really careful where you buy from. You see a really cheap bag of Brazilian. Yeah. Let it be. And you know, Brazil's beans are good, but they've never been some of the best. They're not the award winning beans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. And then, you know, it, it serves, it serves them right if their history starts with that player, Francisco. Pissing. I know. It's, 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 I mean, the coffee was blessed by the Pope and has been associated with the devil. So you just never know which way this is going to fall. But. Yeah. You do imagine there's some other force watching over it. <laughs> like, no, what are we going to do with your coffee thing? So speaking of coffee giants, no discussion on the history of coffee is complete without mentioning Colombia. In Colombia, the challenge wasn't getting the seeds. They were brought in by missionaries. The challenge was actually convincing the Colombians to plant the seeds. So coffee seeds take a good five to seven years to become fruit-producing trees. And for someone who's never tasted coffee and who's a subsistence farmer, five to seven years is a really long time. 
to wait and invest on an untested crop. It's just a high risk commitment. It was a risk that even these really powerful missionaries couldn't convince local farmers to take. But one missionary, Father Romero, was frustrated and facing failure, turned to the heavens and asked God how he could get men to plant the coffee seeds. And according to legend, Father Romero prayed and thought all evening, continued in this haze of thought and prayer all morning. And as he was passing men in the queues walking up to the confessional, he dropped his Bible. When he knelt down to retrieve the Bible, it had opened and Father Romero read the words that would change the course of Colombia's coffee industry forever. It's Hosea 10, colon 12. So for yourself, righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Ah. Grateful and inspired, Father Mayor rushed to the confessional and began blissfully doling out the most beneficial penance. So after listening to local sins, rather than recite a series of prayers, which is normal in Catholicism, Father Romero ordered the sinners to plant seeds as penance. And so this penance to plants program, that's my terminology, so I don't know, apologize, offends anyone? Catchy, it's, it's catchy. So, I think we yeah. should start it again. <laughs> I know, penance to plants. was so yeah. successful that it was soon adopted by the Archbishop of Columbia, and within a decade, the seeds of Colombian sins were transformed into enviable, profitable cups of coffee. And so I think it's fair to say at this point, as with the rest of coffee's history, that a little bit of trouble never tasted so good. Amen. And with that, we'll move on to Cindy's recipe of the month. Uh, thank you, Nicole. So coffee certainly has a long, strange trip from berry-eating goats to political and religious <laughs> intrigue and romance. revolution. Yeah. Death, yeah. hangings, execution. I mean, wow. But, I, I mean, I would say the evolution of how we drink our coffee, maybe not quite as historical or intrigue-packed, but has also changed and grown over the years. It has. I mean, from drinking plain old black coffee to extravagant flavor combinations that can only be limited by your barista's imagination. Yes. Yes. No, it's definitely, it's evolved. I'd say the black coffee, I think, is still, you know, like, that's the base. But people have definitely built up around it and painted it and made it into something like coffee now it can be a dessert. It can be a breakfast. It can be, coffee can be anything you want, as we've seen with many of your recipes. So it can be transformed into many delicious things. Right, I agree with you. And speaking of desserts, uh, recently I have been experimenting with translating some of mine and yours and everybody's favorite childhood candy bars into coffee treats. And so with that concept in mind, I put out an SOS to some of my friends on social media, and I asked them which candy bar they would most like to see represented in one of my coffee concoctions. And the first response I got was the Almond Joy. Now, the Almond Joy is an oft-maligned candy bar, it's sort of one of those all-or-nothing treats. Either you love it or you hate it. Do you have uh, feelings about the Almond Joy? Oh, I don't like coconut, so right. I'm on the hate side. Yeah, I just don't like the taste of coconut. Well, do you like a Mounds, then? No, don't, I don't like coconut anything. So the difference between yeah. an Almond Joy and a Mounds, we know this from the famous jingle, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. So Almond Joy has nuts, but Mounds don't. So for you and I... Neither the Mounds or the Almond Joy is our favorite because we're not coconut fans. Yes. Right. It's not not the nuts that have me on the shelf, but the coconut. I like the nuts. I like the nuts in my candy. I like the nuts in the world. I like the nuts. But anyway, I guess fortunately (laughs) for the makers of these candy bars, many other people like this combination. 
So as you've guessed, the ingredients are coconut, almonds, and of course, chocolate. And fortunately for you coffee lovers, these ingredients, not surprisingly, blend perfectly well with coffee. So that's what I did. I created an Almond Joy inspired latte or coffee drink. And so for this recipe, I made my own simple syrups, one almond and one coconut. And I always encourage you when you can to make your own simple syrups. And the reason I encourage that is because you can adjust the flavors as you go. So you can add a little more sugar, a little more water, a little more coconut, a little less almond, whatever you need to, to make your perfect version of a simple syrup. But if you're unable to do that, they're always available in the store. So what's the the name of that company that makes those delicious syrups? Monine. Yeah. So those are fantastic. So if I'm unable to make my own syrup, I will just pick it up at the store. After I finish tinkering with the proportions of my syrup, And then the proportions that I put in the drink, I'm pretty certain that I got the classic flavors deconstructed and reconstructed into a wonderful grown-up version of my friend's favorite childhood candy bar. And as we discussed, since I'm not the biggest coconut fan, I had to have somebody drink it for me. So there was a lot of back and forth. But uh, she insisted that it tasted so much like an Almond Joy. And now, unfortunately or fortunately, I guess fortunately for her, I have to make her one of these every time she comes over. Anyway. (laughs) No, my mom would probably love that. Oh, oh, great. So next time I see your mom, I'll make her one. At any rate, you can decide for yourself. As always, the recipe is available on our blog and links can be found on the podcast site. And if you're enjoying this coffee-filled take on classic candy bars, be sure to check out some other easy candy-inspired recipes also living on the blog, such as the Kit Kat-inspired milkshake and the peanut butter cup espresso martini. And the peanut butter cup espresso martini, it's as decadent looking as it tastes. And that one I really, really love. Yes, I love anything that's peanut butter, chocolate, and coffee. Yeah, yum. (laughs) Only go right. Or does that one do that? Yeah, it has chocolate in it, right? Yeah. 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 Peanut butter cup. So that's chocolate and peanut butter. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to keep up this uh, candy bar track for a while. So I'm going to be adding more recipes in the coming weeks and months. And that wraps it up for me today. And with that, I will pass the mic back to Nicole. Thank you, Cindy. Yeah, those drinks are great, especially for anyone at home. If you're missing your normal latte run or that kind of treat, coffee treat that you used to get at work, um, you should definitely go to the blog and check out some of these recipes. Because Cindy has made them very easy that using things that you can find, you probably have at home or that are very easy to find at the store. We have lots of tricks on how you can manipulate your drink so you don't need an espresso machine or a fancy frother. Yes, absolutely. If you search around on the block, you can find so many do-it-yourself methods. And that's one of the reasons I encourage you to play with do-it-yourself simple syrups also. Because let's say you can't get one of these syrups due to, I don't know, inventory because of what's going on in the world today. You always can make it for yourself. Yes. So thank you, Cindy. That sounds great. Um, and we'd love to hear from anyone who makes it. Definitely go to the blog and let us know what you thought. So that concludes episode 18 of Coffee with the Queen. Thank you guys for joining us. And as a quick little note, for those of you who love coffee or have a coffee lover that you want to give an Easter gift to or any kind of gift to, please be sure to go to our site, thequeenbean.com. We have a great array of Easter gifts available right now, but we'll also have Mother's Day gifts coming up. And we pretty much have gifts for every occasion. Yeah, anytime gifts. If, if you're... If the person you're giving your gift to is a coffee lover, please check it out because we put a lot of love into these gifts. Each one is uh, unique and special. There, yeah, and we change them regularly. So we, we try to keep them very fresh for the moment or for the, the holiday coming up. 
And so back to today's podcast, links to everything we discussed in today's episode are available on our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com, and on our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. If you like this podcast, please let us know by giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any feedbacks or topics you'd like discussed, we'd love to hear about them. So please email us at info at thequeenbean.com. And again, finally, to learn more about our coffees, please visit our website, thequeenbean.com. Thank you, guys. See you next month. <laughs>